first that was two week the first two weeks and then after after everybody's in school and kind of adjusted you had tryouts for the team of which you had to run a 535 mile and a 65 second 400 in order to make the team no matter whether you were coming back or not um, and so then we had practice in the fall played our typical schedule with just tournaments we didn't really play any dual matches where was Clemson at the time I mean you had great players he'd, he'd already had uh, Mark Dixon earlier and Mike, Mike Andolfo and some really top players. Right. When I when I came in, uh, Richard Matichewski and Jay Berger Jay were Berger. just leaving. Uh, Lawson Duncan was leaving, was there the, the year prior to that. Um, and these were guys that had good NCAA victories. Yeah, Lawson lost to Michael Pernforge in the finals, in the finals of NCAAs. Yeah. Right. I got, remember and... So I came in and uh, I was playing on the team with guys like Kent Kinnear, Craig Boynton, Brian Page, John Sullivan, a guy by the name of Vince Van Gelder, and Brandon Walters from Florida was on the team. He was a senior. He and I played doubles uh, my freshman year together and did well. Uh, Kent we, Kinnear is working with the USTA yes, right Kent now. Yes, is working with the USTA. He did a great job. I never could beat Kent. Always drove was, me crazy. He was a good player. Was yeah, he, he from was. Indiana? He was, Greenwood, Indiana. Tall, 6'6". Six, six I remember that. Yeah, yeah great yes, player. Great player. Mm -hmm. So so that was obviously a competitive thing. Did he do a lot of ladder matches? Yes, as a matter of fact. Three out of five? Uh, you know, we did I played. We did three out of five uh, once one time. And that was, we'd always come back from Christmas and have a team tournament. And however you did in the team tournament after we came back from Christmas was how you started off the season. Or how we start off the season as a team, the order, one, two, three. And that was kind of a point of contention with, with Chuck and I because we didn't really get along the last couple of years. I don't know. I always thought he was – I was listening to some of your previous podcasts, Gary, and as I got to know Chuck, Chuck wasn't more than a 4-0 player in tennis, to be honest with you. And so I knew – I had learned that he came from Port Washington, apparently, yes. That's right. And uh, a basketball player, actually. Correct. And so he was more, as I look back, he was more of a cheerleader and more of a, you know, get you in shape guy than, in, than really teaching you the game of tennis. And trying to be a motivator. Right. And but, he, you know, that's consistent with, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, no, no, but, but with Harry Hopman, who he trained under at Port Washington, because correct. I remember Roy Emerson tell me one time when I said, because I, I saw Hopman, you know, in the 30s, he got to the quarters of some pretty big tournaments, and then I said, ah, Hopman was a pretty good player, and Roy Emerson just almost chastised him. <laughs> right. you no, know, he couldn't play. Right. He goes, he'd just run us to death, and right. we'd hide under the hedges and stuff, you know, but right. but he would just got you into, into shape, but he didn't he, know he, anything about tennis. You know, and that's it's basically what this guy's exactly. saying about Hopman, who's supposed to be one of the greats, right. as you know, went right. to Largo and down right. about you. So, you know, Chuck, and, and so as I got there, you know, I finished, number, I, I won the team tournament after my sophomore year, and he put me at number three. And so, and there was a few things that happened on and off. I won't get into it, you know. But he, that, that, that was the start of our deterioration of our relationship because I felt like I couldn't trust him after that. And I had earned that. And that was, I was proud of that. And uh, so, but, you know, I went on to, to uh, I think my junior to get to the quarters of NCAAs with uh, Vince Van Gelderen. And we were ranked three in the country at one time wow. in doubles. I, I didn't really have ever have a very good singles career. I was all over from one to six, and I think I had a losing record, uh, just because Chuck and I had a disagreement. I like to I like to play on top of the baseline, 
and put pressure on people in Russian net, and he wanted me to stay back and become Rafa, and we just couldn't, see, right? couldn't see eye to eye. Styles. So, yeah. But, you so, know, it, 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 the other side of it is maybe, like, when Kevin Curran was playing number three for us, I kind of knew that maybe he was a little better than me, but yeah. I was played well in the number one matches, so you could kind of put... Todd Watkins at three, and nobody's going to gripe right. about it, and it'd be a real solid match at right. three, which is important in a in a nine well, that, and, point you know, match. And I agree with you, and that's one of the things that I that kind of really kind of Chuck was into the team thing because he was a basketball coach, uh-huh. and tennis is not a team sport; it really isn't. It's an individual. It's an individual sport, sport. and to play have six guys. And you know, and travel together, and, and it was just I I didn't get along with a lot of them. There's a couple of guys from the New York, New Jersey area that, you know, and uh, for the most part we all got along. But it's it's well, wasn't Matuski from New Jersey? Uh, he was, but he wasn't on the he has he had left already. Oh, I um, see. He so, was, he but, was gone. You know, it's just not a team sport. It's an individual sport. And growing up like that, you know, playing tournaments, so that was a tough one for me. Um, but I, I really enjoyed my time at the university. I really enjoyed Clemson University. It was great. And I wound up graduating. I had to make a decision whether to go play pro or to uh, finish school. I had one more year left, and they said, Todd, we'll pay for you last year. I'd worked my way up to a full scholarship eventually. And uh, so I wound up finishing with a political science degree. Didn't, mean, didn't do me much good, but that's what I got. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, then I decided, I moved the girls' coach Andy Johnson, who I think is an assistant AD there now, was a good player. So we used to practice all the time together, and and he knew a, uh, a pro down in Naples, Florida, and so he got me a just job as an assistant. So that's how I got to Naples. That's how you got down uh, to Naples. And I've been in Naples ever since for the last twenty five years. So. Twenty five years. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Todd Watkins here, Clemson All American from the mid eighties, and now a a coach and tennis pro down in, in Naples, Florida. Uh, you mentioned kind of tongue-in-cheek that you, you now work with uh, rich ladies and <laughs> teach them tennis. Uh, you know, this adult tennis down here in South Florida with the ladies is a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yes. The team stuff. You, you know, I, I would think, Gary, even in Atlanta, um, the adult tennis is, I mean, these are the true fans of tennis, to be honest with you. These are people that watch tennis, play tennis, buy tennis balls, buy tennis rackets. So I enjoy teaching them the game. I've come to uh, the last 25 years, become a pretty good tennis teacher. Uh, I'm not bragging. I, you know, I'm just being confident. I'm going to start a some series of three-minute videos called "Tennis is Simple" um, in the process and try to get people to understand exactly from the three, you know, from the beginning level up. This is probably best to, to the four or five on how to hit topspin. If somebody were to come up and ask a pro how to hit topspin, this is just one example. How would you? Well, I can tell them how to hit topspin in two words, Gary. Lean back. Your normal forehand swing and lean back, and you're hitting topspin. But most people don't see it that simply, so there's a little more to it than that. But that's Lean back, as in hitting off your back foot. Correct, yes. And tilting. You watch any of the pros hit, hit topspin. If they're hitting true lots of heavy topspin, Roth has he's got his either weight is neutral going up and down or even going backwards a little bit. Yeah, this uh, it's totally totally different than the old style teaching that we grew up with to well, some extent. Yes and no, not really. I mean, there's really only two swings in the game of tennis, Gary: high to low and low to high. Would you agree with that? High to low and low to high. Well, I I couldn't couldn't fault that. And you, then, you, that is simple. And so then there's only three ways to hit the ball. You can either hit it with topspin, flat, or slice. Uh huh. Right. Uh-huh. So then the question is, how do you put the pieces to the puzzle together there? And it's pretty simple if you really 
if you really, I'm, you know, I'm teaching how to play blackjack by the book, so to speak. So if you really break it down and make it simple for these people who are just learning the game, who will never achieve being ever as good as you and I are. And this game is a difficult game and it's a fast game. And to think through everything, imagine how many balls we had to hit for it to become subconscious to us. But you, if you really pay close attention, you're going to take the ball, whenever the ball's on the rise, you're going to hit it flat or with slice. It's very difficult to hit topspin when the ball's on the rise. And whenever the ball's falling, you're going to want to hit that with topspin. It's very difficult to hit slice or flat when the ball's falling. So if you can keep it that simple and practice that, which is something you and I do without even thinking about, uh, but these people who are trying to get better at tennis, uh, I think simplicity is very beneficial in that situation. So those are just two examples, maybe three, I can't remember. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever watch your students play matches? Absolutely. You know, I have a thing that uh, I, another thing that I, that I do is what are the three things that make a great doubles player? Well, number one, knowing when to cover the middle. Number two, what is the key to winning doubles, Gary? Well, it's not direction, it's depth. If you got people at the net, you're not going to try to hit the, if you got two people at the net and you're on the baseline, are you going to try to hit the ball deep down the middle? I hope not. You're going to try to hit the ball short down the middle. But those are the mistakes that the people make. Short down the middle, short, so the volleyers uh, so need the, the volley, volley up. up. So the ball's at their feet, uh -huh. right. Deep I down see. the middle is going to give them a volley right at their waist. Uh -huh. uh, and then the one that drives me crazy is, and I even saw it today in the women's doubles, is you're at the net and you got a high volley and they hit it to the, to the back person instead of hitting it to the net person. Right. <laughs> you mean the U.S. Open? I saw Azarenka do that today. And I see my Victoria students do it all the time. Yes, no kidding. Because so. it's just a, it's, it's, I call them P.E., point enders. Right. You know, if you can just put the, the volley cross court through right. that person. Correct. But because you, of body position and different things like that, uh, it's you, difficult to do. You, you just said something interesting, Gary. You said through that person. That's really what doubles is, is winning points through people. Completely uh, different than, than singles. Yes, well, that's interesting. I like to keep it simple, too. I mean, I prescribe to the old Bill Tilden match play and spin of the ball where it's like you've got your opponent, you've got you, and then the ball is an independent third party. Correct. And whatever you do to that ball, it's going to obey you if you tell it what to do. So if you hit it on the outside, it's going to go left. If you hit it on the inside, it's going to go right. Mm -hmm. If you hit it on the back... And if you hit it low, it's going to go up. And if you hit it high, it's going to go down. But Correct. anyway, uh, that's really interesting. So so what about junior tennis? Are you coaching any junior tennis? Um, or is you it know, mostly I did, adults down there? I just started. I, I, I teach at the, for the Pelican Bay Foundation, which is the private during the day and in the morning. And, then and I that's just, in Naples, Florida? That's in Naples, Florida. And uh -huh. then they have a public course, Pelican Bay Public Park, where uh, we have a, quite a fit quite a bit of juniors so I'm, I'm working I've just started back this summer working with the juniors because I'm no longer a director of tennis I was a director of tennis for 15 years at a very nice wealthy country club in Naples and I felt like I was an adult babysitter so now I'm an independent contractor just a teaching pro and people come to me for lessons because they want to not because they want to look good on the court <laughs> And, or uh, because the parents are putting the kids out. On well, the that might be the case too, but at least they're juniors and not, uh -huh. you know. So, um, so, but I enjoy teaching the kids, and so I've just started back doing that. So, it's really all I'm doing right now is getting those videos together and teaching some tennis. 
Or do you find yourself watching more of the tennis or just because it's the majors that have been around? You know, it's inter interesting, Gary. I went over, I took my sister to the Miami Open this past March and uh, really studied the players and watched a lot of the players and have been following them during the season ever since. And I just thoroughly enjoy watching it. I, I've followed it more this year than I ever have. But I think the game of tennis is just so intriguing to me just for many reasons. I mean, what other sport where you're getting your ass kicked, 6-3-3-1, three, three, and this guy rips a winner by you, and you got to go back in the corner, get the ball, and hit it back to him nicely, as, as pissed off as you are, right? <laughs> if you're in football, exactly. you're going to hit somebody. In basketball, you're going to push somebody, right? And so tennis is such a great sport, and it, it's uh, – it's, I took up golf and became a scratch golfer because I was uh, – a good tennis player, you know, and I think if you can play tennis, if you're a good tennis player, you can play any sport. And uh, so tennis is just, and it's only, you know, it's an hour and a half, two hours playing, not like golf, five hours. Golf's just so painful for the amount of time it takes, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you asked me an interesting question, Gary, uh, or you, you brought up, I, I mentioned I had to decide whether I was going to go play pro tennis or stay in school and finish school. And I told you that I stayed in school. Now that I'm 52, I, I look back and I think, well, if I would have gone pro, what would it have been? And I kind of figured out that I probably would have been your, as good as I was. And I'm sure there's plenty of guys out there like me, even yourself, you could include in this. I probably would have been top 150 in singles at the best because I was probably a little bit too slow. And uh, I probably could have made top 50 in doubles, I think. Now, that put me out on the tour for 10 years during that time, let's say 80, when they graduate, 92 to 02, 03. How much money do you think I would have made while I was out there? Well, <laughs> I don't know. It would have been tough to handle expenses. Yeah, I would have made about minus $50,000 yeah. in my check account. So, um, and most people don't realize how brutal tennis is. I mean, people that travel for a living in the United States, come on. The tennis players travel 35 weeks out of the year over the entire world, not just the United States or one country. So I pick another sport that does that. I just think tennis is. I think they're the greatest athletes in the world, and I'm a little biased, but. Um. And you may be selling yourself a little short because you never know. For example, you know I put myself kind of in the category with you in terms of just a really top collegiate player, but at the same time, uh, I won a couple pro tournaments with Kevin Curran, and then Steve Denton, who played behind me, ends up winning the U.S. Right. Open doubles. So than their top 10 in the world. That's so true. you don't know that you're not going to have some breakthrough right. tournament with Kent Kinnear one week That's and true. you get to the finals. So, you know, but, uh, well, I mean, I know you could play. I mean, I've seen mm -hmm. what you could do. You, as a matter of fact, uh, I think uh, somebody told me that uh, you used to go down there and work with Johan Creek when he was still playing down in, in Naples. Yeah, when, that, I, when I first right? got out of college and I moved down to Naples, Johan was living in Naples at the time. And so I didn't know, I knew of Johan and he didn't know me, but the pro I started working for was actually training him while he was just getting on the senior tour. So I practiced with Johan for a good two or three years, uh, or Johan practiced with me, I guess, because I was still young. I was 24 coming out of college. And, and how often would you guys so we, practice? So we practiced a couple, couple days a week. Steve would work us out, Steve Vaughn, and uh, Johan and I play a set once a week and he would just run me from side to side. Yeah, Steve Vaughn played with uh, Fernando Steve actually went Mineta. to Clemson as well, yeah, yes, Fernando uh, Mineta. Yeah, played well, on that team when I played right. Fernando. He was so that's that's how the girls' tennis coach at Clemson, Andy Johnson, knew Steve. Oh, I see. And so got me the job working with Steve. So yeah, I practiced with Johan a couple three days a week, and he 
he was still very good back then, fast, and would run me to death. I had, I had one opportunity where I was up 5-2 on him, and Johan all of a sudden pulled a muscle, and I, I, I didn't win that set outright, so I was a little upset. Oh, he my retired. one and only chance to win a set. He retired at 5-2? Right, he retired in our practice. You mean all those other sets he beat you? Oh, yes. Really? Yeah, he, he was, yeah, he was, Johan was good. Johan was interesting because he told me in 19, he won the Australian Open, I think, in 82, 83, and he two was two years in a row. Two years in beat a row. Steve Denton both times. Did he really? I didn't know that. In the finals. And he collected a winner's check each time of seventy five thousand dollars. And is that what he made? That's what he made. And he said he came back with about thirty two because of between taxes and expenses. Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> and that so amazing? it's just tough. I mean here. Yeah. That's I mean, the winner Johan, back then. Yeah, the winner of the tournament, right. and he's netting out thirty two right. and, and paying expenses. And last night, uh, the winner of the women's won how much? Four million. Oh, three point eight million dollars or something. Yes, correct. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think I've seen Johan. They deserve it too. They deserve it. I think. Well, I tell you, they work right, hard. More, more power to them. It, it was a riveting story with Andriski and mm -hmm. you know all that she's been through mm -hmm. and the two suitcases out of mm -hmm. Romania. You know that that's an interest. That leads to an interesting question. I think what would as a true fan of tennis? I think if you took your average three five four zero person who doesn't have as good maybe necessarily as good as I as you or I. And you chopped off the heads of the number one hundred player in the world and the number one player in the world. You and I could probably tell the difference, but the average person couldn't. So the question becomes in my mind: What is the difference between those two guys? Is it belief? Is it is it is is the one guy actually faster genetically than the number one hundred guy in the world? What what's the difference? Because the, the well, one hundred guy in the world is a great athlete. He's a great player. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a great question, and I think if you think of somebody like Federer, I think, you know, belief and confidence I, I would agree. Is, is, is somewhat dependent on what you can do. Like, he can do more things than these other players, so he's going to beat them almost every time, right. like 95% of them. Right. He's, got like bigger, he's got bigger and weapons. Nadal. And just like Joker and Nadal, right. Nadal's not going to miss, right. you know, and he's going to run everything down. I honestly think they're quite, probably a little faster at that, at that, le at that level, too. Than they are. You would have to think so. I, I mean, you you see Djokovic get balls that are and Rafa, you, right. you know. Uh, now I noticed a little change in Federer this time once they wore down, you know. And Serena last night, you know, on match point, for example, she couldn't even move two steps towards that right. return to serve and. You know, Father Time, I guess, caught up with both well, of them in some you, way. When you get and when you get to, I think when it's like the yips when you get older. Clearly, Serena wasn't the same player. She was like frozen. She would, she couldn't move. And I think you get nervous or and, and some whatever. She may have been a little intimidated. And that too, interest, you know, um, which is hard to believe that, it, that she would be intimidated. By it anybody, is, but well, you're right. But you know, she. I think to be honest with. You, She's probably the greatest athlete, male or female, in our time. I, I, I always said that about Stephanie, Steffi. I'm a big fan of Steffi's. Um, because, Steffi Graf. Yeah, because 1988, that was an unbelievable year for her. She won the, was it? She won the Australian, the French, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and a gold medal. <laughs> Did she really? Yeah. So she won the Grand Slam and, and a gold medal. And an Olympic gold right, medal. Right, come on. I mean, that's, geez, yeah. what, what, what made her so good? You know, that's a good question. I think her mind. You know, that's a question for Andre, as he now, but I would love to ask her that question. That's an excellent question, Gary. I want to ask Jack Nicholas. I want to ask Michael. I want to ask Roger. I want to ask, if I ever had a chance to interview these people, what makes you such a great concentrator? 
Because clearly they're better concentrators in my mind than everybody else. Concentration is something that we we learned and it was ingrained in our head a long mm -hmm. time ago. But you know what is concentration in a match? The ability to focus every point right. or as many points as you can. I mean, how how does Rod do that on match point? Rod gets up there and even down match point, and he's still going for the huge forehand regardless either or. Um, and to me, it's concentration. I want to know. I'm almost positive. I mean, Jack Nicholas. Clearly, it's concentration because you can see it when he does it out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that would be a question I would ask for Jack. Jack, how? What makes you a bet? You know, the better concentrate. What are you thinking about? What's Rod's thinking about? I don't know if they'll answer us, but. Well, and one of the sad things about that is uh, when you talk about Steffi is that, you know. At the same time, before Monica got stabbed, mm. she was right there, mm -hmm. and she was starting to win mm -hmm. against Steffi, mm -hmm. and that that would have been a great rivalry. That's mm -hmm. really sad because uh, Monica, you two hands on both sides. No, no. Had you had I'm you seen eating. that with anybody? No, else? I haven't seen that. I saw it on the male side, Gene Mayer. But um, you know, it was interesting that you bring that up. Was a guy, and if you ever look at the results, go back. He you know, always gave Roger fits. Roger would always win barely, like in two tiebreakers. Fabrice Santora. Fabrice ah, had a yeah. slice forehand and a two-handed backhand. Yeah, he was fun to watch. God, buddy. right? I'm like, come on, who has that? And he would he give him fast. trouble. He, he would give Roger trouble every uh -huh. time. And it was the most unorthodox and fun, yes. and the way he would play, and he had a flair about him. Yeah, I agree. That probably had something to do with why Roger had a hard time, Maybe. you know, getting into a groove right. because he likes a loves right. loves a target. That's for sure. Um, so, what else have you been into besides tennis? Anything else? You listen to music? Yeah, I, I love yeah. music. I, I think it helps to. Stay positive. Um, you know, I try to. Does that relax you after a long day of teaching tennis? Yeah, listening to music. I think so. I try to listen to music as much as possible. Well, you're an um, '80s guy. What kind of what kind of music? You know, do you nowadays I, I got Spotify, and uh -huh. you, they give you 30 songs every Monday. They listen to what you listen to, and then they they give you 30 songs. Oh, every so Monday. it's like a surprise, right? What songs? And so I go through get. those, and I got a lot of great new music that I listen to, and really? uh, I I couldn't tell you any of the names. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I get a little irritated with some of my friends that were stuck li listening to Foreigner back in the 80s because nowadays music has progressed so much. You can just get it on, like I said, a stream, streaming service. You don't even have to have tapes or CDs or anything. It's beautiful. Yeah, so, that's really come a long way yeah, in technology. Uh, technology yeah. is amazing. Um, and that's why I think what I kind of want to do with, with an app or either with the YouTube videos, with the three-minute videos, you know, tennis is simple. You going to put some music you, with it? Uh, you know, I don't know if I'll put some music because I'll be talking about that. Maybe as an intro, that's a good idea. Thank you, Gary. I like well, it. you know, I, I just remember it was the coolest thing when we would play the University of Miami down here and Dale Lewis and all those South Americans and South Africans on the team, they have a boom box, you know, and they'd be stretched out before the match. <laughs> I said, God, that seems like so relaxing, you know, right. taking the pressure yeah. off. But, uh, well, that, that was one of the things I, I, I love, when I, if I can, teaching with music or playing, practicing with music. I'll never forget going down to Balletary's and they had those indoor courts and they just had these big speakers blasting while, while everybody was practicing tennis. I just thought it was the coolest way to practice. Yeah, and, uh, why, why was that? That might have been a Fritz Now influence because we did that before he went to Voluntaries. Oh, did you? We had the music going, and right. that's something that uh, Wayne Bryan has done all of his coaching career. He actually gets out and plays the guitar. Mike and Bob Bryan's dad, uh, who had a club in Camarillo, California. Wow. 
But uh, some, there's something about music and tennis, isn't it? Footwork. Uh, you know, I used to sing to myself just to kind of avoid thinking about the intensity of the match because they were so important to us, those matches, just to kind of con my brain into thinking that I'm somewhere else. I agree and Music with you. was a, a big part of it for me, not necessarily hearing it, you know, but thinking it. I used to play a tournament in Tampa. It was a designated tournament and uh, in the bad part of Tampa. But it was right near, and they would have concerts all day. And we'd have to play through it and listen to ah. it. But it really relaxed me because you were nervous. You you know, you're playing this big tournament for your ranking and everything and you're hearing this music and you kinda it kinda calms you down to where you, you hear that and now you're not thinking about you're just thinking about hitting the ball and I have to sneeze, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, well, <coughs> I'm sorry. And it's all right. Uh, but music I love it. it. music's music to me is so important in life. Especially well, you know, stay positive. Yeah, the, the scientists in the old days were really concentrating on the frontal lobe and parts of the brain, but now they found out that there's so much learning that takes place in the temporal lobe, right. and uh, the fact that music is the and the auditory right there is very important because the uh, the ear. The, the, for example, the eye takes a picture and sends that picture to the brain, but the ear has some kind of other process in between that they're finding out is very integral to you know intelligence in terms of artistic, creative, and also music. So I read a book about it by a guy that produced a Blue Oyster Cult, but uh, that's intriguing because what I thought about music was just kind of... Uh, you know, taking your mind off of the competition itself so that I could play a little more instinctive. Right. Well, that's that's what I think. Uh, I think that's, whether it's music or not, Gary, I think that's the key. And that may be part of that concentration question because I think Serena just recently, she lets the finals, she's great until the finals because there's really no pressure. Once you get to the finals now, she wants to win that so badly. Yeah. It's in her mind. So it, it's a play, it's playing in her mind in the background as a, as a and uh, maybe she plays with, well, she's listening to some music, but <laughs> but I think that's what you try to keep yourself from doing because we all know how our mind plays tricks on you, you know. Yeah, well, maybe that's why she's got the earphones on when, forever yeah. since she's been the last 20 years yeah. walking out on the courts. A lot but, of people do. Yeah, I guess uh, one of the, the secrets, and I don't know the answer to it necessarily, is uh, how do you play in a pressure match without feeling pressure? How do you loosen up and release? That's a great question for Roger Federer, isn't it? Uh, because when I watch Rog play, he either wins or he barely loses. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like nothing. And he plays at that level all the time, all the time. And it's just really quite amazing to me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's tight. It looks like uh, Rafa talking about Rafa. He's five all in the first sets with Medvedev. This looks like it might be a tough match. Yes. So, what do you think about uh, what do you think about the future of the game for Americans? You know, spend the American girls are doing better, but the American men are I, not catching up. I agree. I think I think it's a tough sport. I don't think there's uh, you know you have to feel a sense of urgency. If you really want to be and to, and to ask somebody to be number one in the world in the game of tennis is a hard, hard task. I think the future of tennis. I think we got to watch out for China. 
I think you're going to see a lot of Chinese players. Really? Because look at the population over there. Uh -huh. and, and they're serious about it. And they're serious about it. And why shouldn't they be? There's a lot of money in the game now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I think for Americans, I don't think we're going to see a male in the top five for a long time unless he's kind of special and comes through and says, I want to, I want to be that. Um, I think that would be a great question for Pete because Pete's always said it's such a sacrifice to be number one in the world. It's not really a sacrifice if that's what you do to be 50 in the world, but to be number one in the world is a huge sacrifice. Well, and not only that in America, I mean, there's not many Deion Sanders that are playing tennis, right. you know, when they're eight years right. old and continuing on. That's they're, true. The, the best athletes just gravitate take to another sport, and right. I guess money has a lot to do with that, right. just socioeconomic. I wish we could take a lot of those football players and put them into tennis. I think football, I can't even believe they let kids play football at that, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of football. Gary, let's put a helmet on our head and run at each other and bang ourselves in the head. Yeah, Come it's on. proving to be very dangerous. It seems it? kind of strange to me. I didn't let any of my kids put helmets on their head, and neither did I ever, so. Uh -huh. um, so pick a sport other than that. If anything, for boys, I think it's baseball. I put my pictures. <laughs> Well, that's true. But There's a lot of money on the table. In look at look at how much money it costs to be a tennis player these days. Right. Stuff. It's a lot. You know. Did you see the story of the two guys that won the doubles, the men? No. So they're from Colombia. Apparently, oh yeah, they, the they, Colombians. Right, they've been out there, and they didn't have any money, enough money to go on tour and travel. So they got a guy who was a big tennis fan, a Colombian businessman, very wealthy guy who was a big tennis fan. He's been sponsoring him for the last several years. He passed away about. Uh, 17 or 18 days ago. And before they, they won before the US they won Open. And they couldn't go to his burial. And they, they were telling this during the during the it's ceremony right. yesterday. And, uh, and I mean, I was just, there were tears running down my face. Everybody's work because they couldn't wow. go to the burial. And they said they felt like, what a better way to honor him than to win the tournament. Sure enough, they did. Well, yeah, so. I saw the uh, picture with one of the guy's boys uh, had the uh, trophy on his head. Right. A little five-year-old, four-year-old yeah. boy. Interesting story. Yeah, yeah, I think Cabal was the name right. of one of the players. And uh, yeah, that was. I mean, uh, from Colombia. It's like you look on the map and you go, where you know, where did people come from? VJ Singh. Look on the world map and and throw a dart Fiji, at it and yeah. go, where? You can't even see it on the map. It's amazing. How's a guy come to be number one in the world? From, you know, so yeah. it's quite interesting. Well, where do you see the future of tennis going now? Um, I, you know, I think I think they're just going to continue to make it more accessible for uh, tournament-wise for us to go watch, like at the Miami Open. Although it's expensive, but I think they got a good handle on it. Um, I think they just keep to need to keep doing what they're doing. Um, I, I'd like to see them advertise a little more at, at the at the real little level, like put. Uh, Tennis cart tennis commercials in cartoons, maybe put tennis animated players in cartoons. Maybe mm -hmm. get the little That's kids going. I think would help if the USTA would even entertain that idea. Well, apparently Oracle is putting together about twenty five to fifty more tournaments for the younger people. I mean, or the the lower ranked people. Well, you know, good. because it's so hard for anybody to make money that's not in right. the top hundred of the world or something like right. that with all the expenses. Right. Once you get to the top hundred, and now if you get into a grand slam, you're getting, you know if you can get into four grand slams, you're guaranteed two hundred thousand dollars. So fifty grand for first uh -huh. round losers, uh -huh. which is kind of interesting. Now that's enough money to keep you going for the year. So so top one twenty five. Top one, I would say I don't. I top one ten, I would think, because don't they give away a lot of wild cards and 
So yeah, if you're in the, in yeah. the top 110, that's you're true. not qualifying. So that's a couple hundred thousand, and hopefully if you're in the top 110, you're getting some kind of advertising dollar for having something on your Maybe. sleeve. Maybe, right, possibly. Yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting because most people don't realize what's the number 50 guy in the world make? You know, Gary? No, I know. He makes about $600,000 uh, if you look at the end of the year. So that's not bad, you know, but what's it take? I would say it takes probably 250 to travel. What do you think the top 50, the 50th guy in golf makes? Well, that was my next observation. He's making that. We could go and look. It's certainly not million, that. He's making about a million. million. Plus, yes, plus he's getting a car when he goes to the tournament. He's getting, he's getting tons of endorsements from, these perks, go, right, yeah. from the golf course, golf companies. Um, how about the 50 guy in baseball? 50 guy in basketball? 50 guy in football? Right? Yeah, Tennis is brutal. Five million. Yeah, absolutely. Tennis is rough. It is rough. And those guys aren't getting cars or travel. They got to supply their own travel. And like I said, travel the world. Wow. And there's like 2,000 really good players. Once you get past, you know, the top 50 guys, let's say, or, right. you know, it's Anybody like the next 2,000 can, can win at yeah. a certain time. Yeah. And uh, so that's fascinating. Right. Yeah. Well, Todd, it's been great visiting with you. and. Uh, maybe you can come back and talk again when uh, Chip Hooper's around. Did you ever, did you ever see or Chip Hooper play Chip, tennis? I did. Chip was a couple of years older than me, um, but I remember, you know, as as a, in the fourteens, going to watch the guys in the eighteens, and I remember Chip being just huge, <laughs> huge yeah. serve, huge person, huge personality. Uh, uh-huh. But I never met him. He doesn't know who I am. But I, I you know, in the juniors, when you're in fourteens and you go watch the eighteens play, it's uh, it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, he was telling me, and some other people have told me, you know, when he was in the 12s, he was just this real little rail, not that tall. And right. then we got 16, 18, he was 6'6. Six, six, right. And, you know, uh, one of the things that he always did, and looks like you do too, is lift weights. He got really strong, yeah. which, you know, he said at, at, at that time, nobody was lifting weights right. except him. You know, like these smart. golfers are doing all the time. Yeah, yeah. Very he, smarty. He said he used to lift with, you remember the guy on the Chicago Bears named Dan Hampton that mm-hmm. was a defensive end yeah, or something. Yeah, he, huge. He w- yeah, he was at University of Arkansas with him. He goes, me and him would be in the weight room every day. But, nice. Yeah. Uh, but listen, Todd, thanks for joining us. And again, uh, thank you, Gary. Hope, hope, to, hope to talk to you again. That was a lot of fun today. Yes, sir. All right, that's it from the Chip and Gary Tennis Show for this episode. See you next time.